Craft Beer Radio presents Get Your Belgian Style Special Release Beers On at Saver 2009 with Rob Todd and Peter Buchart. Sour Beer Lover's Dream. Rob Todd from Allagash Brewing and Peter Buchart from New Belgium present four beers fermented with Britannomyces yeast that push the styles to their limits. You can find the rest of the Saver Salon at craftbeerradio.com slash saver. Craft Beer Radio is a free podcast available from our website or on iTunes. Oh, I just heard a door close. That probably means we're on. Hey, guys. They're here. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Saver 2009. Unless you were here last hour, that'd be something new. My name is Ray Daniels, and I'm the uh, host uh, for tonight's uh, special tasting salon. Uh, We are... Fortunate this evening to have two of the rock stars of the American craft beer scene here to uh, share some special beers with us, and uh, they're also going to uh, pair some wonderful cheeses to go with those as well. This is a beer and food uh, pairing event, so uh, we're going to demonstrate that here this event. So um, on your left, my right, Rob Todd from Allagash Brewing Company. And Peter Buchart from New Belgium Brewing Company. And uh, that's about all I'm going to say. I think you guys probably know who these guys are. Oh, sorry, I do have a couple other things I have to say. Turn your damn cell phones off, if you get any service in here anyway. Uh, Second is, uh, keep it clean, because they are recording this whole thing for uh, Craft Beer Radio. So don't say any words like... (laughs) No f bombs. Okay. Right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you leave, don't forget your glass. You only got one. They're not going to give you another one when you go downstairs. All right. And um, in terms of questions, I'm holding the microphone. If you got a question, look at me. Raise your hand. We'll try and get you in. I'm going to try and move these guys through their uh, four beers and cheeses in about 10 minutes each to leave us about 15 minutes at the end for Q&A. If you don't have questions, then you'll have to listen to mine. All right? So, guys, uh, I guess we got an Allagash beer first, so I guess Rob's going to start. All right. Uh, so I'll just give you a quick, a quick Allagash history. Um, I started Allagash uh, 15 years ago. We're in Portland, Maine. Um, and I spent uh, about a year building the brewery and then uh, spent uh, the first year running the brewery and I was just alone back then. We were extremely, or uh, the company was just me at that point. It was extremely small. Um, We did about 120 barrels, of of brewer's beer barrels, 31 gallons. We did 120 uh, barrels of production our first year. Uh, We just did our white beer, which is our flagship. That's the beer most people are familiar with uh, that we make. Uh, just in the local market, draft only. Um, since then, we've grown a lot. We haven't grown as much as these guys. Uh, but uh, uh, we're now about 17,000 barrels of production, 16 or 17 probably this year. And we have distribution in 17 states, so we're kind of scattered around. Um, and we do uh, basically Belgian-style beers and uh, kind of Belgian-style experimental beers, uh, a couple of which we're going to be trying today. So... Um, and this first beer we're trying, uh, which we should, we will hopefully get some samples too, right? Uh, this first, oh yeah. Uh, the first beer we're trying is our interlude. And uh, this is kind of a, it, this beer is a little bit of an interesting story. Like a lot of the beers we, uh, we sell, especially in the more experimental vein, they were kind of mistakes. Um, and uh, this beer st- uh, kind of started as a, a beer loosely based on a Saison, um, but it was very loosely based on the style. It was about uh, 9% by volume. And if any of you are home brewers, you know with Saison yeast, it's very common for to pitch the yeast and then to have the yeast peter out uh, during fermentation about halfway through. Um, so that's what happened to us. We pitched yeast into this beer, fermented great for two or three days, um, real steady, strong fermentation. And then we came in to work um, about three days after we brewed it, and it had totally stopped fermenting, dead in its tracks, which obviously we were pretty bummed out about that. Um, 
But it, this was uh, three or four years ago. We, we weren't as busy then as we are now. And uh, we could afford to just kind of leave it in the tank. And we tried to get the beer going a couple times um, and just couldn't get it fermenting. So we just forgot about it. And I came into the brewery about three months later and walked up to the tank. And if any of you have been on brewery tours, these, you, you, you've seen a hose coming out of the tank into a bucket of water uh, very often um, to basically... Um, uh, you, you can you can see the carbon dioxide coming out during the fermentation as the as the water's bubbling. And I walked by the bucket and it was bubbling again. It was fermenting. So we were like, "Oh, cool! It started again." So we we took a taste of the beer and kind of looked at each other and we we're like, "There's something in this beer that we did not add. Uh, definitely uh, a different microorganism, yeast or bacteria, um, had gotten in and was fermenting the beer." But we just immediately fell in love uh, with the flavors um, of this. Uh, what it turned out to be was a wild yeast. Um, So we let it uh, finish fermenting. We actually haven't had it um, analyzed yet. We're not exactly sure uh, what it is. We think it's a Britannomyces. Um, another brewing lab that, that uh, keeps it for us says it's not a Britannomyces, it's a, it's a wild Saccharomyces. But either way, we love it. Um, we love the yeast. I'm going to actually get a splash too. Oh, no problem. Um, but we, uh, we let this fermentation finish. Thanks, Ray. And uh, the, the, the wild yeast, which, you know, if it's Britannomyces, uh, it ferments extremely slowly. So it took about three months, four months uh, for the second half of the fermentation to finish. And then what we do with this beer is we age it in uh, French oak, Merlot, and Syrah barrels which we got from uh, Plump Jack Winery in Napa Valley. I'm buddies with the winemaker there. Um, So we aged about half of the beer uh, for eight months in the French oak and then blended what was aged in the oak and what was aged in the stainless steel. Um, And we look at this... Um, this Brett strain, it, it, it gives you a lot of interesting flavors that you can't get um, just by adding spices or fruit to a beer. Um, just these microorganisms, which I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about tonight, um, just contribute these really unique flavors. Um, this Brett contributes a lot of bread crusts. Uh, character, uh, graham crackery character, and, so, and some nice fruity notes, and a little bit of that kind of funky horsehair barnyard character. So, and then we, we paired this um, with, I think this one's paired with the Griswold uh, cheese. This is a, a cheese uh, made at uh, Nizinskut Farm in Turner, Maine, which is in, it's way up there. Um, Actually, this is uh, paired with the Romano. I oh, think. it is? That's what it says on my sheet. What's it say on your sheet? It says um, Griswold? Yeah. All right, I'm um, wrong. Yeah. You're right. I'm sure you're I'm right. I'm not. You know, and to be very honest with you, I had nothing to do with the pairing of these cheeses. I was on the road, um, so the brewers did it, but... Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so the cheese with the rind, I believe, is, is to be paired with Peter's. That, is that a brie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so. That's right. You got you yeah. getting you're getting two cheeses at a time. Yeah. Mm. The softer one with the, the 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 white bloomy rind on this one, I think, would be the brie to go with Peter's Peter's beer. Peter's. The other one is the, the the other one is the cheese that goes with Rob's beer. The question is, which cheese is it? Yeah. We're not sure. I think it's the uh, Griswold, but... Yeah, it feels a little too soft to be a Romano, mm. but what do I know? Mm. I'm definitely not a cheese expert. Ditto. A- uh, any questions about this beer? We need a lot of audience participation today. So... so <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Did we have this one last night? I don't even... Um, I th- oh, it was Confluence and, uh, and Humalone. Yeah, we did a tasting, a couple. Yeah, Chris was there. Chris and Cheryl were there. At, uh, our, what's that? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it got a little bit, uh, yeah, d- definitely the language d- deteriorated quickly. Well, let's not go there tonight. Tasting. But uh, it was a pretty wild night. We had 16 beers. There were, I think, five brewers on this panel, and it was... I, I don't remember leaving, to be honest. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was a fun night. 
that this was, you, you think, uh, a sac uh, saccharomyces, but I've never had a wild saccharomyces that, that mm. tastes anything quite like this. Yeah, so, so the question is, you say this is a wild Saccharomyces. Well, I don't, but, we, we, we sent the yeast to two, and Peter probably knows better than anyone, but, but definitely better than me, maybe, maybe what it is from the flavors, because you have a lot more experience it's a with it. In my eyes, that, that's what we think. We think it's Brett, and we sent it to two yeast labs. One of them said they think it's a Brett, one of them said wild Saccharomyces, so, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a Brett. Um, yeah, it's a nice beer. So, in terms of uh, pairing on this, uh, how's everybody liking the pairing? Did you like the pairing? I thought I liked the pairing. Yeah, I thought it was. A ni- I thought it was nice. Okay, I liked it. Um, yeah, well, I think we can start pouring the second one. You guys. You know, might have to rush through that next one there. So, um, Peter, uh, I noticed when we pulled these beers out, uh, you have two different beers that both say Lips of Faith real big on the bottle, but then there's two different styles. There's a Beer de Mars and there's a, there's a Dark Goose. Mm-hmm. Is Lips of Faith yeah. a series name or how's that work? Yeah, we, we started this year with Lips of Faith uh, as a series um, we're going to bring four different beers into the Lips of Faith. We have a third one, Le Fleur, Monsieur, uh, coming out. Um, but this is Beer de Mars. And the, the beers that we're going to bring in this year um, are beers that have existed over time. But um, as Rob already mentioned, uh, working with those Bretas is always kind of uh, interesting as such in a brewery. You don't not want to um, have any of those Breta in your other beers. Beer de Mars, as such... Um, the, the inspiration for the beer was, maybe, sorry, I first paint uh, New Belgium. New Belgium started in 91, so we're a little bit older than uh, Rob, than Alagash, as such. In 91, we produced around 200 hectoliters, so that's like 180 barrel. Um, but that was on a 5 hectoliter system in the basement of Kim and Jeff, Kim and Jeff, who started the uh, brewery. Um, then a uh, year after we moved to a 20-barrel system, then a 96 to a 100-barrel system, and now we're brewing on a 200-barrel system. And so it has been uh, growing forever for us. Who's That's why I'm gray, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a question? Or? Um, the, the brewery currently, last year we did close to 500,000 barrels, so we're one of the largest craft brewers in the U.S. currently, but we're still not distributed in most of those uh, eastern states here just because we cannot do it. We don't have the capacity to do so. Um, then the two beers that we're going to have, the first beer that we're going to have tonight is uh, the Beer de Mars. Um, that one is, um, for me, uh, one of the most creative beers I ever uh, played with or made as such. The inspiration uh, came after a trip to Belgium and, and in France where we looked to some breweries and really didn't get any inspiration from the breweries. But then uh, we went to, we got stuck in Brussels for a reason and we started looking to an architect, Victor Horta. And it's really, Victor Horta is the inspiration for this beer. It's an Art Nouveau um, architect in Brussels who tried to integrate um, floors and the walls and the stairs and every element of the architecture um, into one piece of beauty. So really nothing stands out on its own. It it all flows together. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with this beer. It's quite complex. There's um, a lot of stuff happening in that beer. Uh, we have three different grains in there, oats and wheat and barley. Um, then we have two spices, lemon verbena and lemon peel. Uh, and then we rounded up also. There's uh, two processed things also. I fermented very warm. It's our warm, uh, we fermented at 30 C. It, it, it's a gangbuster when it's fermenting. Um, but it's, it's part of the flavor profile as such. But then the first part that you get is um, in the, the aroma is mainly the Brettanomyces. It's a Brettanomyces bruxelliensis that we've been selecting. I have a lot of Brettanomyces in my library, but this is still my favorite of the ones I have. Um, and that's the nose of the beer. It's difficult to really pinpoint the, uh, the different flavors in it and what exactly is what is. 
the wheat, oats, the, the higher fermentation temperature, that's to create higher alcohols. And those higher alcohols are a little bit more subtle in flavor than esters as such. And so I wanted to focus on higher alcohols. That's long-chain alcohols, basically, that you have in there. Um, the lemon peel is present in the body also. If you, um, and the lemon verbena is sometimes hard to find, and I have a hard time finding it here. So I got a I got a brewer question, but Uh-oh. how do you keep like you mentioned? You get with a higher fermentation temperature, you tend to get a lot of esters, which are fruity characters. Um, how do you? Because this isn't real estery, but like you said, it's got kind of the higher alcohols. Um, how do you get one and not the other? How do you suppress um, the esters? You can make a focus on higher alcohol. Esters need some time, and so if your mm-hmm. fermentation goes very fast you basically end up with the higher alcohols. And there's no time to make esters. There's different tools that you can use also. You can pitch less or pitch a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is going to lead more to less esters also as such. Mm-hmm. Are you understanding what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, esters uh, are a combination of a higher alcohol and an acid. And um, you can steer only to a certain extent as a brewer the direction that you want to bring it in but in this case I really wanted to focus on not getting too much esters in it because if I have them if I have too much isomelacetate well the bread anomyces probably would take care of it Um, but uh, I didn't want too much fruitiness in it the fruitiness needs to come from the the spices such have you tried the pairing so far? It's a good pair. Pairing's yeah. pretty fantastic, I think. Yeah. yeah. The soft cheese also, the... Yeah. The, well, it's quite flavor-rich also, the cheese. But it's still a good match, I think, with the beer. It's kind of a beer that I never used for pairings. I, I normally just drink it at... Uh, it's my shift beer currently at work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really wonderful beer. So, yeah. so it sounds like the beer itself was inspired by architecture mm-hmm. uh, primarily. But, but okay, you start with architecture, you still have to come up with a recipe. Yeah. Where, where did you get the ideas for the recipe? I mean, for me, when we came back from Belgium after that trip, my ideas were only, I want some I want to integrate all those flavors, but I didn't know how it was gonna, what it was going to be. I wanted some soft fruit in it. and There's no soft fruit as such in it, but it tastes like it has soft fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was our idea. It was just in the back of our head, basically, just to get it right. I mean, we initially weren't thinking on bread and amices at all. It was only towards the last test brews that we got on bread and amices. And we're like, wow, this is it. And now we can round it up, and it's perfect. Right. So right. now, uh, if I recall correctly, your your early part of your brewing career was at Rodenbach in, yeah. in Belgium. So so uh, Peter comes from a Belgian brewing tradition. So when when he sort of offhandedly says we weren't inspired by any of the beers we found in Belgium, there might be a certain familiarity there that that, that contributed to that. Yeah, but um, uh, th- there were some key examples. We went first to the Bier de Garde area, and uh, the first brewer we come right from the plane. And the first brewer in the Bier de Garde brewery was like, "Oh, what's what's Bier de Garde all about?" Is that marketing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, we need to go to France for <laughs> figuring out that Beer de Garde is about marketing. And that, we, that was kind of the disappointment uh, that we got during that trip. And really having that, we tasted Brewery Palm, and the inspire, inspiration for um, Fat Tire, had just put up a whole new bar. They found a whole bunch of pieces from a building from Victor Horta, and they had reconstructed the building. And it was a beautiful bar with unfinished uh, pure lambic that they were t- trying tasting. Uh, you could have the unfiltered palm. So it was really um, good inspiration seeing that architect in a good setting with good beers. And it was like, wow, this is the guy that, this is our inspiration. This is the beer we're going to make, mm-hmm. the Victor mm-hmm. Horta beer. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So you said oats is, is part of this. Had you brewed with, with oats before? Uh, yeah, we have oats in some other beers, but not too many. Okay. But, uh, we, in this case, we use malted oats now. Okay. Does it give it a different flavor than uh, yeah, raw oats? They, they have a little bit of a, a toastiness and also some bready character. Bread. Mm-hmm. Not bread. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> bread, bread as in a loaf of bread, right? Yes. B-R-E-T. Baker's bread. T-T, yes. Okay. So, a question over here. Let me get the microphone out in the field here. 
I, I'm pretty impressed with this with this beer. Other beer to Mars I've had, uh, particularly from uh, Jolly Pumpkin, is one that, that uh, comes to mind. Uh, it has uh, more of a cherry and a sour notes to it, and this one uh, gives me more. Uh, cooked apples, maybe, and ends with a bit of a peppery uh, phenolic note, and so very interesting. Do you age this beer at all? Is this barrel aged? No, this is not aged. Uh, the next one that we have has some barrel aged beer in it, but this is uh, just a regular fermentation. Only bread and is in the bottle or the keg. Do you expect it to get some more like sour character or something when it's no, no, it's not going to get sour. Uh, if everything's right, then it's not, it shouldn't get sour. <laughs> uh, Bretonomyces can make sourness, but it needs to have oxygen, and so it doesn't have the oxygen, so it's, it's just going to go where it goes. The flavor development will develop over time, and it's quite interesting. I have still some Bretonomyces from 2003, who, or sorry, Beer de Mars, who's, it's an excellent beer. It ages very well. It has some other risks sometimes, exploding bottles. Yeah. <laughs> Got another question yeah, over that, here. That's, uh, I just wanted to add one thing. You know, that's interesting with the Britannomyces that, um, and, and you t- you'll taste it a little between the interlude and later the confluence. With our interlude, it's barrel-aged with Brett, and it does have much more of a sour character than the confluence. The confluence, really, it's got the, uh, the funkiness you get from the Brett, but it doesn't have that sour component like the interlude does. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, could you talk more about the, the Cool Ship project? Okay, yeah. Uh, they ratted you out in the last hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah we recently built uh, what's called the Cool Ship at the brewery. And this is really inspired uh, from the Lambic breweries in Belgium, which, which have any of you have ever had them. The classic Lambic beers, they're um, generally pretty tart, real complex, uh, very unique beers, somewhat of an acquired taste to drink them. Uh, but these breweries are really cool in Belgium. Some of them, some of the breweries, very historic. And uh, basically, the way they in beer, you have malt, water, hops, and yeast. And they use the first three ingredients: malt, water, and hops. But instead of uh, cooling their sterile wort after uh, after boiling in a sterile environment and then adding a controlled yeast strain, brewer's yeast strain. What they'll do is they'll boil the beer, add the hops, and then cool it in a, in a, a very shallow vessel um, overnight, um, exposed to the outside air. Generally, there are louvers or windows that are left open in that room, and the outside air um, adds natural yeast and bacteria to the wort. And then after a night in the cool ship, it's the wort's cooled down to room temperature. It uh, generally then goes into oak barrels, which we did. And after maybe four to eight days, fermentation will start. Um, and we tried. We built a cool ship. I'm not. It's probably going to be a big waste of money. But uh, it was. We were more just interested. I woke up one day. I was like, let's just build a cool ship. <laughs> you know. And uh, so we built it, and it actually worked. The beer. Uh, most brewers in the world have always been told that you can only make these beers in the Seine Valley and in, in Brussels in Belgium. And uh, I was over visiting Cantillon, which makes some phenomenal, uh, you know, real traditional lambics in Brussels. And uh, Jean, um, who's now doing the brewing there, kept uh, looking at us. I was over there with a bunch of brewers, Sam, Adam, Vinny, and Tommy. And he kept saying, you know, you can make these beers anywhere. You can make these beers anywhere. And it scared me for a while because... Um, you're introducing a lot of bacterias and wild yeast into the brewery when you do this. Um, but uh, like I said, one day I woke up and we just built a cool ship and uh, have tried to brew this beer. And we've done, I think, about seven batches now uh, over the last year and a half. And um, they taste a little different than, than the traditional Lambics, but there's, there's definitely a lot in common, and, and so far it's working. I don't know if we'll ever sell it or not, but we're learning something. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Why don't we uh, start the third beer around? Yeah, one, of the, one of the cool things about Belgian-style beer, um, you know, from a, per, from a pretty small geographical area, Belgium, um, there's just a huge palette to draw from on beer styles. And uh, the beer, the brewing culture, um, wouldn't you agree, Peter, is just kind of experimental by nature. Um, so you almost, when you're brewing Belgian-style beers, you almost have a limitless palate to work with. And that's one of the things that excites us about Belgian-style beers. And um, one of those components is wild yeast and bacteria that's just really starting to be used in the United States. And I think, you know, it again almost gives 
gives you limitless potential for, for new flavors and aromas in beer. These beers, uh, Beer to Mars, the uh, Rob, your first beer. I'm, the I'm interlude. Sorry. The yep. interlude. That's something to think about is, is the, how it feels in your mouth and that texture. And like with the pairings with the cheese, the, those kind of feelings that you get in your mouth, uh, uh, especially the, the softer cheese with the, the Beer to Mars, the texture really comes into play there. And it's just kind of one of those thoughts that you don't normally think of. I mean, it's wet, it slides down your throat, and away it goes. But beer can have a texture as well as a taste and an aroma component. And, and that's always been one of my favorite things to use. And, and the Beer to Mars has been one of my favorite beers to to talk about that and it was very disappointing when it wasn't made for a couple of years but I <laughs> understood understood what was going on there but I was really happy when it came back and so were my customers so mm-hmm. but I think if you see an event like tonight um, the the depth and breadth of the is that right the, the, of, of the beers that are served here and then if you think about wine um Last year we had an interview with a wine spectator and um, we really were talking as brewers like there's way much stuff that can happen, way much flavor development in beer than there ever is going to be in wine. Wine is limited to grapes and uh, there's interesting varieties, varietal and process uh, stuff in wine. But beyond that, and if you think then uh, about the beers we just tasted here already, but all the beers you tasted tonight on the floor, there's just such a beautiful area that has been undiscovered, even in Belgium, in my eyes, the food pairing with, um, with beer. So tell us a little about Confluence, Rob. Mm. So. I'm sorry? Uh, which cheese? So this is this is uh, with the with the Romano, the Ragged Island Romano, which is uh, it's 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 got the little air I think a little air pockets in it. It's kind of got a little bit of a grainy texture. So we didn't. Or it's the Griswold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or it's the Griswold. Yeah. My my yeah. schedule says this, says the Griswold. Uh, His says Romano. And again, I didn't even select the, the but it is the it is the white one of the two. It's the white one, yeah. It's the white one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing this is the Ragged Island Romano. Um, I think it's with. No, oh, yeah. Who knows? I'm not sure. Tell us something about. I'm the not beer. sure which one is. Okay, so so this beer. Um, this beer is called the Confluence. This is the uh, other beer in the brewery. And again, I was just talking about the potential with these um, wild yeasts and bacterias. Um, now that we're using this wild yeast, which we've isolated at the brewery, and it's a yeast that's um, it's kind of an, it's inherent to Allagash Brewing. It was introduced at our brewery. Um, it really it, it probably only exists there. Um, but we've successfully used it to ferment um, a, a number of different kinds of beers and these are the two that we've released the interlude and the confluence the confluence is the second one um, it, this beer we've taken a little bit of a different a- approach um, than we do with the interlude with the interlude we get a lot more of an impact from from the oak and the oak really expresses itself in the beer with this beer we really wanted to bring out um, some different characters in the yeast um, it's not quite as not quite as tart, uh, not quite as acidic, because um, it wasn't aged in the barrels. Um, but what we do with this beer in the name Confluence, um, it suggests two yeasts, um, the confluence of two yeasts. And what we do with this beer is uh, after we brew it, we pitch both our house um, ale yeast strain and we pitch uh, the wild Britannomyces yeast into the beer. Um, during the first part of fermentation, the ale yeast um, outcompetes uh, the Britannomyces. Um, so you really don't get a lot of uh, flavor impact from the Brett during the first couple weeks. Um, 
then once the ale yeast is consumed, the, the ale yeast tends to consume the simple sugars and it consumes them quickly. Um, the Britannomyces uh, is able to consume much more complex uh, sugars um, that the ale yeast can't, but that it does it at a much slower pace. So the second part of the fermentation really lasts um, probably about five months with this bread. Um, it ferments it out very, very dry. Um, Chris was talking about the texture of the beer. And one thing that interests me about that when you talk about texture in these beers, um, these beers ferment out so dry mm-hmm. that you'd almost think there was nothing there. You'd think there wouldn't be a lot of texture and you'd, you'd think there wouldn't um, be a lot of mouthfeel. But it's amazing. Even though they fer- ferment out dry, um, there's, just, there's a tremendous amount of mouthfeel and texture. And I'm not even really exactly sure what that's from. Maybe it's... Um, some of the flavors that the Brett gives you. Um, but this does ferment out very dry. And then what we also do in this beer, um, we, were, we were interested in how the flavors in the Brett would interact with hops. Um, so we dry hopped this beer. Um, I think we used glacier hops. Um, but we, we basically added hops um, to the beer in the stainless steel, um, let it sit in there for two weeks, and then uh, drain, uh, move the beer into a different tank off the hops. So it picks up um, a lot of that. I almost look at it as like a citrus or lime peel aroma. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, that aroma is really from the interaction, I think, of the hops and the Britannomyces. Um, and then you also still get some of that graham crackery bread crust character uh, from the bread. But we're excited. I think using this bread... We have all kinds of all kinds of ideas. Uh, another beer that I think really would work well with this bread is aging our black, which is, uh, I guess, for lack of a better description, Belgian style stout. It's a stout fermented out with a Belgian yeast strain. Um, we're, we're we're aging uh, the black in uh, bourbon barrels that are, that were used for our curio. Um, so a lot of the bourbon characters out of them. Um, we're aging black uh, with the Britannomyces and the and, and uh, in the black. And I think those um, roasted kind of burnt flavors are going to be interesting with the bread. We'll see. Yeah, the drying effect from the bread, if you design a beer, you need to take that in account. We just released a lager that we were going to dry out with bread. Oh, really? And so um, you need to get that, you, get, you have to get body elements in, in the beer because the bread is going to take it. Yeah, yeah. So we got a question over here. We get a microphone down there. Rob, uh, you mentioned that the wild yeast you you capture the wild yeast, um, you know, for use later. How how exactly do you capture the yeast? Good, good, yeah, good what, question. What kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of net do you yeah, use? It's very, very fine net, like a butterfly net. You grab them, pick them out. Um, that's a good question. I mean, this particular yeast strain, for the way we think it got introduced, when that interlude stopped fermenting in the tank, it was a tank we had never used, um, and uh, the, it cooled down in the tank, and there was a loose fitting we later found out on the top of the tank. So as the tank cooled, we think it just sucked air into the tank, and the bread that was just in the air made it into this beer, probably just a few cells, um, and started eating the beer, and it was very happy, and it multiplied, made babies, made little brat babies, and all of a sudden it doesn't take long, and there are literally you know millions and millions and millions of cells in this beer. Um, what what we can actually do is bring the beer into our lab and grow it. Uh, like remember when you were a kid, you get the throat culture, and they swabbed it on the on the petri dish. They were basically looking for uh, the strep culture growing in the on that media. We can do the same thing with beer. We can, we can actually grow the microbes in the beer, whether it's a Saccharomyces yeast we've added or um, whether it's something we don't want in the beer or just a happy surprise like we got in this beer. But uh, and it, it is a, as you can dilute the beer down, grow it on a plate, and actually pretty clearly distinguish with your eyes um, the brewer's yeast versus wild yeast. And you can literally just scrape one of those little colonies off and grow it up in a test tube with wort and then grow it up in a vial and then eventually grow it to the point where you can add it to beer. Um, 
we have a couple yeast labs that we sent this culture to because we were worried we'd lose it, storing it on our own, um, because we, there's no way we'd ever be able to recreate it. Once we lost it, it would be gone. So two yeast labs have it and store it for us, and they can grow it for us. So there you go, folks, a little yeast porn to get yeah, your yeah, evening going. It's yeah. safe. <laughs> so we're going to start bringing around the uh, fourth beer uh, now, which is... Um, uh, Peter's uh, next in the lip, Lips of Faith series. I actually, did, Mir, did, did Beer de Mars come first and Dark Creek, Dark was Creek was first? Okay. Yeah. We didn't get the Dark Creek in, uh, in Illinois, so I had the Beer de Mars. I haven't had the Dark Creek. Yeah. The, the beer we're serving now was our Valentine's beer. Um, we get a lot of stuff uh, from vendors and um, around Christmas or in the holiday period and as New Belgium we didn't think that was appropriate to do that in the holiday period so we always send something to our vendors and um, uh, some of our distributors um, at Valentine and we also accompany it with some uh, cheese local cheese that we have from Fort Collins and so on so this is why the beer was created we wanted to have a Valentine's beer for this year every year we make something different but we actually had the capability to make more of it and that's what we did we threw it in this bottle and called it Dark Rick as such um, the beer itself it would be nice if you could oh. we get to, yeah. <laughs> falling down on the job yeah. <laughs> and they don't think about us here um, the beer um, um, Rob already talked about some wood aging this is a blended beer of a regular fermentation and some of our wood aging beer that we have. And then, of course, since it's a creek, creek is Flemish for cherry, um, there's also some uh, cherry added to this beer. So th- this has got a blend of some of the beers from the Fodors? Yes. The, okay. Uh, 35% is Fodor beer in this case. Um, Fodor is. Uh, what, what, wait a minute. Fodor? What's that? Fodor is a uh, large, upstanding oaken barrels that we're using. We're, um, we currently have um, 10, uh, 16 or something uh, large upstanding oaken barrels, 130 hectoliters. They, they would fit in this room. Uh, they're a little bit smaller than this room, but that's where we age the beer on. So they're, they're wooden barrels? They're oak. Yeah, um, yeah it's like uh, you were talking about. You bought them in a winery. I bought the last ones now in um, Bonnie Dune in uh, Santa Cruz. I bought six there. And I bought six in Villa Mountain in um, Halfway the Napa Valley. And then I had six that I, four that I bought through a broker, and I will never do that again because um, it's very delicate. Those wooden barrels, especially those large ones, um, the flavor, the, the visual aspect, uh, how do they look and smell inside? At the moment you decide you need to be there. You need to figure that out. Why would, uh, in, in our case, you have a lot of beers here tonight that have been aged on wood, but there's really, in my eyes, two different um, pathways that brewers are following. One is you can use wood, um, like um, Dogfish has, uh, does that, short time, kind of mellow the beer out, um, but go with high alcohol so they don't have too much uh, microorganism development. In this case, we go with lower alcohol beer in it and the beer is around 6 to 7 volume percent in there and we really want to have a a proliferation of microorganisms in there Um, when we started this up in 97 we were starting with small barrels uh, the wine barrels 225 liters and um, we're bringing all kinds of stuff in that we found there because we're in Colorado it's very dry we don't have much bugs in the air um, but we brought all kinds of stuff in there in those barrels that we found or that we bought or um, wow this is enough flavor from a cake that we have wow perfect um, and so we dumped it all in there and now we just are scaling this up we basically are tasting and say wow this is a good one let's use this one to pitch the next one and so we put around 10% of the beer is older beer. And we talk about two to three years old, this beer that's in there. And it's quite sour. And if you smell it in this case also, you kind of have this uh, horse table-like flavors in there. And you still have uh, some of the Breta character. But the sourness... so. It's only 35%. Um, our main beer that we're making from the oaken barrels is La Folie, and that's 100%, but it's a blend of um, different barrels. From time to time, 
we if we find a barrel, it's really amazing. They are like kids; they go where they go. Um, they grow up, and they will make something that you cannot control it. Um, and from time to time, if you find something that's excellent, um, they, we just uh, cake some um, uh, number of cakes up, and we call it MBB Love. And Chris Black gets a lot of the love then. <laughs> but it's it's a natural process; it's completely uncontrolled. And so here in this case, we're like, okay, let's use some of this wood beer, uh, but also buffer it with a 50% is a regular brew who was pretty high in alcohol at that point because the beer. It's finished, I'm not sure, it's around 8, I think. Yeah, 8 volume percent. So the, most of the alcohol comes from um, the, the brew that we made separate that never saw the wood. And then we added some cherry there also. And that's the, the three components of the, the MBB, um, the Valentine's beer that we created for this year. Yeah, one, one interesting thing that, that Peter mentioned on, it is amazing with wood. Uh, you can take just the exact same beer, put it in four different barrels, and especially if you're dealing with any wild yeasts or bacterias, um, you can go back and taste those beers in six months, and those four barrels can be totally different beers. Uh, they can have different aromas, different flavors, and uh, a lot of the art of making beer with wood, which I'm sure is the case in the wineries as well, um, is blending these wood barrels. Um, we just did a beer at the brewery, which we called Gargamel, and we had um, uh, a number of uh, 53-gallon wine barrels with beer that had been aging in them for a year and a half. And the beers uh, tasted totally different. I think we had uh, five of these barrels. Um, we ended up just selecting uh, three of the barrels and, and blending, the, blending the, bear, the beer from those three barrels together. And it, was a, it would be really not a totally different beer, but a much different beer had we picked three different barrels and blended them. So a lot of the art of making beer in wood is blending. Yeah, and uh, we have to deal with the wine microbiology that it comes with, and the ones I bought from Villa Mountain were very beautiful uh, on the inside. They were all crystals uh, on the inside, which is pretty bad for what I want to do. Um, so we had to remove all those crystals with, first with pressure washing, and then we use scraping. We use kind of knives, and you reverse scrape it, and we scraped as high as we could uh, standing in there. But you need to get those pores of that wood back open. Um, if it's full of crystals, um, that is a pretty bad case. But then you come in with beer and hop in beer, the iso, the bitterness of beer will prevent some of that growth that you will have from the wine microbiology, and so you get a certain development. We had our uh, Fuder 9, um, it took, we bought it in 1999, and it created the first time a beer in 2006, I think, and we had to dump it twice. We just got rid of the beer, because it, what can happen with this beer is that uh, it can be... Com, um, become completely ropey, we call it. It's high viscous. Um, and you're opening the sample cock, and there's nothing coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and you wait a little bit, and it starts to drip out, but it's, it's very elastic. and it, It's a stage. Those barrels will go over it, um, but once they go over it, you better stop them as soon as possible. And that one did it twice, um, or at least did it twice, a taste perspective from me. Uh, we never saw the ropiness as such, but if you taste it, then the sourness goes through the roof. And so we cleaned the barrel up, then we brewed a beer with 60 IBUs, bitterness, um, and put it on there for... Um, over a year just to kind of get rid of some of the microorganisms in it. Um, if that wouldn't help, we probably would have burned it ritually or something. But they, are, they go where they go, and you cannot really steer them too much. There's a few tools that we can apply as brewers. Uh, we, we, destroy, we, we rebuild one, uh, who's also a really fun project on his own. We burn sulfur. Uh, you can play with a beer, but from a cleaning stance, it's wood. You can't really do that much, etc. But okay, it's a fun uh, area for us to play with. Eh? 
Yeah, one of the uh, one of the reasons brewers uh, these days, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of beer is made in stainless steel now because you can clean it, you can get the microbes off of it, um, but you also can't get all that character you get out of wood. But one of the downsides with wood is that once you have these microbes in the wood, um, you know, maybe you can control them a little bit, but once they're in there, they're in there, they're in there to stay, um, which is kind of a double edged sword. Um, the bad part of it is if you get microbes in the wood that you don't want, um, then you're, you're in a situation where you might have to just get rid of the barrel. It's, it's a, just a bad barrel. Um, we actually all, also, and, and brewers who use wood uh, use it to their advantage, once you get the microbes in the wood, you can empty the beer out of the wood. Um, you can even clean the barrel, and then if you add more beer to it, the microbes that are still in the wood are going to uh, work away at the beer and add those nice flavors to the beer. Um, so you can really use that as an advantage uh, as a brewer, uh, the microbes staying in the wood continuing to contribute flavor uh, to the beers. So, so it sounds like if you take a batch of beer, um, which I don't know what your brew length is these days. That's 30 barrels. 30 barrels. Yep. So how many different wooden barrels does that go into if you put a whole batch into, into wooden barrels? It, it probably goes into about uh, 20 wood barrels. So, so basically you now have not one batch of beer. You really have 20 different batches of beer because every one of those barrels is going to be different. Yes, okay. absolutely. Now, yep. w- last hour, uh, Tommy Arthur and Vinny Slurzo were in here talking about some similar subjects. And they talked about the concept of orphans, the fact that sometimes you go to blend these things and some of the barrels you don't like, and so they don't go in the blend, and now do you, do you have orphans, and what do you do with them? Um, I think if you work with wood, with used wood, used wine, because I don't want too much wood flavor in the, the beer, so I use used wood. To me, um, you need to dump a lot of beer. Dump them. Dump the beer. In something else, sometimes yeah, absolutely, you have to dump it. Sometimes, sometimes also, we'll be tasting beer in, and it depends what flavors you get. But sometimes, especially if you get, um, if it goes acetic, uh, you get a lot of acetic acid, which is what they use to make vinegar. That's definitely a candidate uh, sometimes to dump if it gets out of control. Um, sometimes you'll be tasting a barrel and you kind of shrug and say, ah, you know, not much here with this beer, and you forget about it. And then you go back and taste it six months, six months later, a year later, and you, you kind of look at it, you look at each other and say, wow, you know, this, this is cool. Um, and that's what happened with that beer we just released at the brewery in a, on a small quantity, the Gargamel. Um, that didn't really, th- that beer didn't taste like much for really an entire year. And then after a year, we went back and tasted it and we said, wow, we really like the direction this is going. We let it go for another six months and it was, it was ready to be bottled up. So what about questions here? Let me get... So given the oxygen, oxygen permeability of the barrels, which is what you're counting on for the proliferation of the uh, wild strains. Have you thought of controlling that in, in stainless tanks by oxygenating on a, you know, a rated scale? It's really a micro... It's really a micro... Uh, oxygenation. Uh, the level that uh, you get through it is very, very small. Uh, I use French oak because French has um, less thylosis, and so the obstructions that built in the centerpiece of the, the wood of the tree... Uh, the the outer part is the sap conducting part, but then there's stylose sugars kind of who block those pads. And if you use U.S. woods like for um, the the bourbons, um, there's way more tyloses here, and so you reduce your oxygen, your micro oxygenation way more with American oak. So French oak is then a compromise. Then the, the second tool that you have is the size of the barrel. Versus, uh, the, the bigger you go, the, the less oxygen infusion you get. Um, if you go on a homebrew scale, on the other side, I like the, the table steak uh, method in a glass container, but just only use a table steak, basically a, a piece of wood that you put on the top. So Because you don't want a, a gallon of beer uh, getting oxygen from all sides. At that point, you're going to make acidic. We made one table dressing uh, also uh, <laughs> for the employee party um, a barrel that went completely south, and we just made table dressing from it, added some oil and some spices, and that works too. 
It's important to have your barrels in a very controlled environment. Um, you, it's important to keep them. We keep our barrel room uh, at 62 degrees or below. Uh, once it starts to warm up into the high 60s or into the 70s, um, you get acetobacter growth and you can get vinegar. And the same is true if you get a lot of oxygen. You need to keep your barrels. There are, t- there are a ton of work and a ton of maintenance. You've got to keep your barrels topped off so you don't have a lot of surface area at the top of the barrel exposed to the outside air because um, you'll get acetobacter growth. So you need to keep them topped off and cool. My, I've been to Cantillon twice in, in Belgium, and you were talking earlier about the trip you made with uh, Adam and uh, Vinny and, and, and Tommy. And the most recent time was two years ago, and I went in and I tasted the beers. This is like 10 o'clock in the morning on a multi-day beer drinking tour. So if sour beers aren't exactly your thing, you know, drinking sour beers at 10 in the morning can be slightly challenging. And the first time I had been on like a two-week, near the end of a two-week drinking tour, so it was very challenging for me. I tasted them this time, and I was like, wow, like, you know, I actually like this. This is, this is pretty good. And I, you know, was introduced to Jean, and I was talking to him, and I said, you know, I, I think my palate has matured in the last ten years, because I, I find I'm liking your beers more now. They don't seem as sour to me. And he said, well, actually... We've changed the way we make the beers, and we don't make them as sour as we used to make them. So they actually have ways, things they can do to control the amount of sourness uh, and acid production they have in the beers. And he listed off three or four things, which I've now forgotten, but hopefully I wrote down somewhere and we'll find someday. Um, so there is a way to control some of those things. And like you said, not, not topping them up. If you leave air ullage in the top, that's one way, to, I think, to develop more acidity in those beers. But. And it's a, it's a learning process. We don't we we're, we're we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we've learned with these beers. Every time we make a batch of beer in wood, we learn something, and it's just it's a, it's a totally different animal brewing with wood. If any of you get a chance to tour New Belgium, it's it's just a it's a really cool brewery to go see from a lot of standpoints. And then probably on the tour, do you get to see the photos? If you're on the good tour. <laughs> if you're on the good tour, yeah. So ask for the good tour if you go. That's the one that I got. But, but uh, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. It's an impressive facility. And uh, Peter's got, how many photos do you have there? Well, with the SA-16, but we still have some of the smaller barrels, uh, the wine barrels also, that we're playing around with. So. Mm. <laughs> All right, we've got about five minutes to go here. Any, any questions from the audience at this point? Rob, when was the first time you went to Belgium? Oh, actually, on my honeymoon. Oh, well, I dragged, of course. I dragged my wife. She wanted to go to the islands, to a nice, like, warm, tropical place. I was like, no, we're going to Belgium. <laughs> we're going to expense this trip. Um, so, and I even... I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she, she even put up with a number of brewery tours as well. But I love going over there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great place to go. Um, it, it, what's that? Oh, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great place to go. And uh, a couple, t- you know, a couple trips ago, I went there with a number of brewers, and we were actually. I was kind of concerned because um, out of the brewers, we probably have the most just clear lean towards Belgian beers. And, uh, and we even brought some beers over there with us. And I was real worried about what kind of reception we'd get from the Belgian brewers. I, I didn't know if the Belgian brewers would say, oh, you know, you're trying to copy our beers. And, uh, but they were actually, you know, unbelievably warm and welcoming. I mean, we, we were blown away. Everyone just welcomed us with open arms, showed us all around the breweries. They were very, you know, fascinated um, by trying our beers and what was going on in, the, in U.S. beer culture. Um, they were even kind of saying, which I always look at Belgium as kind of the, the motherland for beers, uh, and th- they were just fascinated with what's going on in U.S. beer culture now. And uh, they were saying, you know, isn't it great that you guys can brew these kind of wacky experimental beers and you have people really like you guys, uh, thankfully, who are willing you know, and curious uh, to try these beers, um, so well, I think one of their biggest markets now is in the U.S. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for, for sure. Well, let's place. go the other way. My, my memory, Peter, is that you came to New Belgium 97, 98 96. in that time period? 96, okay. Mm-hmm. When did you first come to the United States, and what beers did you drink, and what was your memory of them? Um, 
I came the first time to the U.S. in '95 on a trip out west, and um, I was very surprised about um, at that point um, brewers were relying heavily on Cascade hops. Yeah, and cascade. cascade, cascade, and every beer, every brewery, small brewery you went to, you had another cascade beer, and I was like, okay, it's nice and hoppy, but um, what's the variation on the team here? And I think seeing that developing um, at that point, ninety-five, as the U.S. brewers, we were still referring a lot to the old world, and um, we maybe still do it way too much right now. Um, but it was originally more German and English, and then Belgium kind of came. Uh, later in, in the history of craft brewing in in the US. But if you look what we're doing right now, um, again, the the variation, the, the uh, how how for us brewers events like this are uh, stimulating because we're tasting around, we're talking to other brewers and they're like, oh, you know what I did? Uh, wow, you did this? Oh, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> and so it, it, we really are building on each other and it's... Um, I think in a, it's unique in the world what's happening here right now on the beer aspect. Um, the enormous amount of um, directions. And sour beer is kind of underexplored still, but um, people will get there. You, it's hard to find a brewery right now that doesn't have wood in the U.S., uh, even if they have one barrel sitting somewhere, but they're like playing around with it. And we are playing in so many dimensions around that it's, for me, it's, it's um, a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another just really cool thing about the beer culture, which probably you guys have heard from a lot of brewers, there, and this is very unique, I think, to this industry, um, there's just a ton of openness in this industry. I mean, if any brewer, you know, if Peter wants to come into our brewery, he can see anything. He can see recipes. I'm not, you know, show him any process, equipment. Um, and, and the same is true, you know, if I go visit Peter's brewery, he's like, you know, what do you want to see? Where, where do you want to go? What do you want to know? And that's just how the business is. Everyone's real open and friendly. There's just a ton of collaboration in there. are a lot of collaborative beers, and uh, you're even starting to see that between uh, the U.S. and Belgium, I think, especially. Mm-hmm. There's just become a lot of collaboration uh, projects. So it's, it's just a really – it's just a great industry to be involved with. It's, it's really cool, and I think it's very unique. So we've got about two minutes left here, so we're going to have one question. We haven't had any of the women ask a question yet, so we'll – um, you mentioned the collaboration. Can you talk a little bit about your collaboration with some of the Belgian brewers and some of those beers that you've brewed recently and how yep. that experience was? Yep, we've done a couple, and I think Peter's done a couple. Uh, we've, and I wasn't as involved as, I, I was the brewmaster for the first 12 years of the brewery, and I've kind of handed the torch over to Jason, who is much more capable than I am. <laughs> He's been at the brewery for 11 years. Um, so he was uh, m- much more involved with these. But we did one collaboration where Jason went over to Belgium and brewed a beer with the Proof Brewing. And he, he had a great experience. He loved it. Uh, and and it, was, it was a lot of fun working with them. And then uh, another brewery, Destroy Sub Brewing, um, that does Panapot and Black Albert, if you've ever had their beers. Um, they came to the U.S. and did a couple collaboration beers. One with, I think, Todd Mott. Um, who's a phenomenal brewer at, at Portsmouth Brewing in New Hampshire, and another with us. And um, I've, I've uh, spent a little bit of time with Urban since then from, from Destroysa. I wasn't there when, when they brewed that, but Jason had a blast doing it. He said it was one of his best days ever. He, he, he just, it's a lot of fun uh, being able to work with other breweries and, and just kind of mix that creative process, get, get, a, get a different creative approach to the beers, uh, so it's, it was pretty cool. And then you've done a couple yeah, collaborations. I, I haven't brewed the beer in Belgium since, but um, what I've been doing is uh, working with some Belgian brewers on who were stuck. Like one was uh, the Dolle Brouwers. Uh, they used to get the yeast from the brewery that I used to work in, in Rodemba, and they stopped doing that. And so we start supplying their, their yeast from New Belgium out initially, who is kind of... Um, not possible as such, but okay, we did it anyway. Um, but then I worked with him, and really under pressure of his wife, really, it was kind of funny one. Um, but we had to revise a little bit his process, and now he maintains his own lactobacilli um, in a, a slightly change of his process that we had to do. Um, 
and he bought a tank and he does it all on his own now and the Ur beer is still um, gets again somewhat sourness I've done that with different brewers in Belgium um, where uh, as a brewery as New Belgium we can do a lot of stuff for helping out smaller brewers in Belgium and so I've been working with them I'm actually working with one right now but um, it's still kind of under the radar we also uh, have Transatlantic Creek coming back in. Uh, so this is a beer. It's a cherry lambic beer from uh, Frank Bone. That um, it's, it's already in Virginia, as I heard, but it's still in customs. Um, and so we brew 50% of the beer, and 50% of the beer is a beer from Belgium. And so we combine that and make our own beer out of it under New Belgium's name. So. Well, that's, uh, that's very exciting stuff to hear about the new projects and collaborations that are going along. Uh, we've really enjoyed uh, the, the four pairings you guys have done for us today, and the cheeses we're with them are great. Give you guys a great hand, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah from the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get-